Well, good evening, everyone. Here we are one more time before you. Brother Mike, Brother Mark, Brother Jerry, we are continuing our journey, our wonderful journey, through Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And what a what a journey it's been thus far. We are very excited this evening to pick up uh, in verse eight of the fourth chapter. Mm-hmm. And our intent is to uh, go all the way down through the 20th verse. Oh, really? If we are able to do First so. I'm hearing about it. It, um, it sections out quite well. And I hope that the Lord will just guide our conversation. Uh, that we'll be able to to do that. Um, and uh, we need your prayers. We, we absolutely need your prayers. We uh, do. We certainly do. Without the leadership of the Lord, um, we are on a boat with no oars, I guarantee you. So uh, we we certainly look to, to him and, and how thankful we are to be able to come together one more time uh, before you. Um, we appreciate your continued um watching and listening and i trust studying with us as brother mike has said a number of times these sessions that we're having are not intended to replace your study they are wholly intended to uh, encourage you to study it further um hopefully we'll say something by god's mercy that will stir your pure mind amen the lord so. will give you understanding that's where understanding comes from, and that's when it'll do us the best good. So we need the Lord tonight, uh, and we want to go before him. After our, I, oh, I open prayer, with prayer this evening, we're going to ask Brother Mike to uh, give us a, a level set. Did such a wonderful job last week, Mike. You set the bar. Thank you. So don't disappoint us this evening. Um, well, just we're praying, we're praying keep for your you. expectations low. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, uh, we, we certainly appreciate your, your effort in, in doing that. So if y'all will pray with me, we'll look to the Lord and then we'll get going on Galatians chapter four. Merciful heavenly father, Lord, we come before thee with a thankful heart that we even have this opportunity of setting time aside to look into thy word, trusting heavenly father, that you will be pleased to grant unto us thy mercy that you would bless us with understanding, Lord, that as we uh, search the scriptures, Father, that we, it's our desire to understand what you would have us to know, that we would apply it to the walk of our lives, to your honor and to your glory, and Lord, to our edification, that we would be built up in thee. Father, uh, this evening, we we pray uh, sincerely for those that are on beds of affliction, those that are sick and afflicted, those that are sick in spirit, Lord, we just ask that you would reach thy loving hand down upon them and draw them to a nearness unto thee and bless them, Lord, with thy felt presence. That our, our experience is when, when we feel thee nigh unto us, all is well. And Father, we need thee this evening. We ask that, uh, again, that you would just lead and guide our, our discussion and our conversation. And in all things, we will give thee all honor, praise, and glory for it's justly due unto thee. These favors and blessings we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Brother Amen. Mike. Yes. The floor is yours. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <clears throat> uh, I haven't told Brother Mark and Brother Jerry this, but this 
section that we have before us today is the one section, even more so than the third chapter, that I have so looked forward to getting to. And uh, I want to tell you why. First of all, I've been an advocate of a way of studying, and that is to try to put yourself in the mindset of the people who got the letter, the first ones, the first readers, the first century Galatians. That's a pretty tall order. That's a very difficult thing to do and impossible in in various ways uh, to put yourself in the mind of someone, especially of someone 2,000 years ago who lived in a part of the world that's very different from there. Things have happened in 2,000 years. We've had 2,000 commentaries on Galatians, and some have been, uh, you know, just mile markers. Even the ones that are wrong have become mile markers. And they have imprinted upon our minds what it is that Galatians is supposed to be saying. It's hard to get past that. So to get past it, one way is to just clear your mind of what you think you know and just read it as if it's the first time you're reading it. I think that's very helpful. But it can also pose a danger. I I also advocate, be careful when you say you're going to clear your mind that you don't throw out the good with the bad. And you know what? As the Church of Christ, and may I just say as Primitive Baptists, I think we've got some great things. I, I'm so delighted with the doctrines of grace that the Lord, I believe the Lord has given us. And, and, I, and I know these two brethren feel the same way. So I want to suggest in our reading today, actually in our reading at any time, is to remember some certain non-negotiables. And I think this will do as well as we look especially at this passage. For instance, think about this expression in the eighth verse when ye knew not God. Then think about in the ninth verse, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God. Well, what are those things talking about? Uh, think about <clears throat> uh, going down to the close to the end where he talks about that he is in travail until Christ be formed in you. Wow, if you don't know going in what it means to have Christ in you versus Christ formed in you, then I'm afraid you're going to easily go down a wrong path. So let's let's think about a couple of non-negotiables. First of all, we believe in salvation by grace and only by grace. We, we believe salvation by believing is no different than salvation by doing. And both are not salvation by grace. And we believe that in the Bible there are there's eternal salvation, and for those who are eternally saved, there's available to them salvation in this life and blessings in this life that do come from believing and obedience. But we believe that once you're born again, you're always born again. There's nothing that ever happens to that spirit. It can't, it won't leave you, not even it, from what you think, say, or do. Once saved, always saved in that sense, right? So when we think about those things that that should help us navigate some of these white water rapids that we're about to get into in this section of the fourth chapter. And I know these other two brothers are thinking, oh boy, I can't wait till he lets me have that opportunity. 
to just say how wrong you are, Brother Mike. But anyway, I think I'm right on this one. I think I'm pretty right on this one. Um, Next, I want you to notice the sentences that make up this section of the fourth chapter. Paul is famous, or maybe I should say infamous, for those uber-long sentences. I mean, anybody that's gone to Romans 3.21, you realize the period doesn't happen until after the 26th verse. And that's just one of his shorter sentences. Uh, But what it's packed, and you have to really try hard to parse it. But notice now here in the Galatians 4.8 through 4.20, one sentence after another. Each verse is its own sentence. Now, what do you think is going on with Paul in this way? Of course, he's writing by divine inspiration. We know that. But at this point, he's made his big, big doctrinal argument. And he's just finished it in Galatians 4-7. It's, it summarizes everything from two, Galatians 2-16 through the end of the third chapter, through the first six verses of the fourth chapter. But, and, and now in the eighth verse of the fourth chapter, he is applying what he's told, told us in those doctrinal chapters. He's asking them some questions, and he's making a plea to them. If you really understand what Paul has been saying, then you have to know that we anything other than uh, Jesus Christ and Him crucified is a big step back. Anything that proposes salvation any other way than through the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is wrong. It's it's not just a step backwards. It's uh, it's a misstep, and Paul is really driving home these points. He's some people say, well, this is the application of his doctrine. I just say he's challenging them. He's challenging these people to think about what they're doing based upon what he's just told them. So he says, uh, uh, basically, why do you want to be slaves again? I think that's part of what he's saying. You know you were slaves to something called the elements of the world. But notice he says, "Go. why do you want to be slaves to the weak and beggarly elements. Now, what were they going to be slaves to? Were they going back to full-on paganism? No, they weren't going to full-on paganism. They were going to a mishmash of Christianity and Judaism. And and it's just like that. It's a mishmash, whatever that word means. I think it means just a jumbled up uh, uh, tumult, Brother Mark. It's a tumult. They call tumult. Uh, That's an in-joke. You see, Paul is saying to them, now that you get it, and I hope that they got it, and I hope that we get it too. Now that you get it, do you see what you're doing? You're going back to something as bad as what you had before you were Christians. They were pagans. They became Christians. Now they're going to something what? What are they going to? Something other, something worse, something far worse. And it's just as binding on them as the rules and regulations that they were under as pagans, it's just as binding on the Jews as they were under uh, uh, under the Mosaic Law. I'm not saying the Mosaic Law was anything like paganism at all. I'm just saying that they had restrictive rules that limited the freedom of those that were under its authority. And so when you take Christianity and you add to it these, these have-tos, called the works of the law, you have destroyed the purpose of Christianity. You've destroyed the essence 
of, of the gospel. You have removed from the gospel the thing that makes the gospel the gospel. And that's the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is, you have obviated the death of Christ. You have repudiated Christ. I know that sounds awful harsh, but Paul's saying it in those terms. Now, we move on down. We get past that. And he begins to talk to them in a rather personal way. You know, he talked very personally in the first two chapters, but I think this is his most personal statement to this church. He's talking about the time that he was with them. And it sounds like he he didn't go up there necessarily to preach the gospel, believe it or not. He had something go physically wrong. Some have surmised that he had an, a terrible seasonal allergy. And I, I laugh at that, but I have had bad ones too. And man, you don't want to be around me when that kind of stuff happens. It could be that he had an eye condition. Uh, maybe, maybe so, but it doesn't specify that he did. And if he did, what kind of eye condition? It could be that he was showing the wear and tear of all the beatings and persecutions that he was taking. Maybe it was all of the above. Maybe it was something else. But when he went up there, naturally to the carnal eye, there wasn't anything appealing about him. But when he preached the gospel, these people were, they fell so in love with the gospel and with the apostle Paul, they were willing to take out their own eyes and give them to Paul, if that's what it would take. And he asked this question, and there's a song that we sing that's based on this phrase Where then is the blessedness that you knew? Oh, that's a great question, isn't it? Blessedness, I suppose, the great, the, the most common synonym to it would be happiness. Where's the happiness that you knew? There was a happiness that they had in, in, in the way they treated Paul, the way they took him into their homes, the way that they cared for him, the way that they loved the preaching that the, the Lord is blessing him to preach. There was a happiness in their service to him for the reasons that I've just stated, love. But there was also a blessedness that they had from the gospel of grace that that uh, was in, that was empowered by the spirit of his son and in that wonderful spirit of his son there was the i guess the the calling card if you will is love love to the lord love to one another and it was a it was a precious time for them. And Paul says, where is that? Where are you? You lost it, didn't you? I can tell you, dear friend, <laughs> I think this is what Paul's selling us 2,000 years back. He said, hey, you guys up there in the 2,000 years from now, same thing. Where's your blessedness? Where is your blessedness? I ask you, listening, where is your blessedness that first you knew when first you knew the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing news of Jesus? And, it's and then I close with this in the level set. He gets into a little bit of a, I'm not going to say debate, but he, he calls out the teachers and he says, uh, look, you're not, you haven't done anything to me. You treated me fine the first time I was there, but now I have to wonder, do you hate me because now I tell you the truth? You loved me when you didn't believe the truth. You loved me because I taught the Lord blessed me to teach you the truth. But now do you hate me for telling you the same truth? Why is that? It's these men that's come around you and they're teaching you things. But look, 
how they're doing it. You know, to be zealously affected in a good thing is a good thing. But these men have wrong motives. And that's the biggest problem I see in the church and has been in the church is when preachers preach with ulterior motives, usually to heap disciples to themselves and to make their name become something that it never was or never should be. So in this section, there's four things we want to look at. First of all, and then, and then I'm through, guys. I'm through. I'm through. Okay. I'm through. First of all, verses 8 through 11, he gives us a plea to stay free from bondage. Then in verses 12 through 14, he reminds them of their kindness to him when they first met, and he asked them to remember how they acted so compassionately to him when he first came among them. Then verses three, uh, the third thing, verses 16 through 15, he challenges their sense of duty and loyalty. Yeah, We're, that means something to me. I hope it means something to you. Faithfulness. Jesus was faithful to us. He was faithful to the Father. Paul was faithful to the gospel that the Lord gave him. Are we faithful to that gospel? Are we faithful to the Lord? Are we faithful to one another? And the last thing, in verses 17 through 20, he it's a call for them to wake up to what is happening and why. These men who are being so effective among them, among them, they aren't being powered by the Spirit. They have ulterior motives. And if you want to see what a minister is like who does not have ulterior motives, then think about when I was with you the last time. I think that's what Paul's saying, because all I ever did was out of love for you guys. I didn't do it for anything. I didn't do it to please men. I did it to please God. There it is, brethren, or whatever it's worth, my level set. Hello, is anybody there? Hello, <laughs> Mike. You were you were on mute the whole time. I oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, I wished I was. <clears throat> no, 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 I'm no, 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 I, I, I'm thankful that you were on. Um, I, I want to make one quick point, brother Mark, uh, and then give way to you to to tag on and and get us rolling, brother Mike. I am very thankful. That at the beginning of your remarks, the exhortation that you gave to hold fast to the non-negotiables. Oh, yeah, that's important. We talk about context all of the time. And I think I appreciate context more now after going through the study of this letter with, with you brothers than maybe I ever have before. Now, it's been it's been uh, pounded into me pretty good. I. Brother Holder's uh, father in the ministry to me, context has been pounded into my head. Oh, yeah, it has. But uh, <clears throat> context is so important it, as we try to interpret scripture and understand it. But the point you made relative to non negotiables, the things that truly are locked away mm -hmm. in our hearts, right? Um, there's a lot of things that we can talk about in scripture and reason together with, and we can move and, and navigate between them and truly biblically reason together on things. And it's a wonderful blessing. But what, what would we give for that? That's locked away in our mm. heart. Um, <laughs> you know, the thought just comes to, to my mind. 
uh, blessed art thou, Simon Bardona, for flesh and blood mm-hmm. have not mm-hmm. revealed this unto thee. Right. That's, that's one of them right there. That's a lock away, right? That's a lock away. And then so for you to to begin the, the dialogue tonight uh, and apply it really categorically to whatever we're studying or whatever conversation we're having relative to the gospel and the belief that we have and the function of the church, Oh, let us always hold fast to to those things because it truly speaks to to the fullness of our identity. Um, there's such a distinction between <clears throat> the blessedness of sonship and discipleship. There's such a distinction there. And to understand that once the spirit has <laughs> has applied the blood of Christ and and you are a born of the spirit of God that can never be taken away. Amen. Ever. But you can need to have Christ formed in you again. Yes. Right. That, and what a wonderful point and that that leads so well into this dialogue. It does. Right? So. Really really does. Because it it protects you and I know this was your point in it it protects you from getting tripped up. It protects you from reading something that might make you think it is more of a a positional or a relational um, situ, uh, you know, situation for, between you and God. In reality, it speaks of the fellowship that you have with those things, and they are as precious if we put them in their right place, right? So, brother Mike, thank you and thank God for him putting oh, that on your thank heart. You tonight uh-huh. um as we go in this brother mark i know you got your bat in hand yeah he's got my what? finger what does that mean bat, what does that mean your bat in hand. oh my bat okay <laughs> yeah he was biting his <laughs> fingernails that? I, I that's is that uh, worse than... like, mm. <laughs> talk, talk to us brother uh yeah i like um i like that that uh truth of non-negotiables um you know we 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 encounter pitfalls when we look at a non-negotiable as something that becomes negotiable, um, G- churches of Galatia, there was a non-negotiable in play and they allowed themselves to have itching ears to listen to somebody say, well, this is really negotiable. Um, that is, that's an excellent that observation. Plus something else, right? That plus, yeah. a, you know, right. anytime you hear <clears throat> something plus you need to, you know, <laughs> you know, the radar come up and say, okay, is this, is this legitimate or is it not? Um, this, I would agree with you. The personal aspect of this section of the, uh, book of Galatians is so, so prevalent. Uh, cause obviously, like you said, the apostle Paul had something going on physically, you know, we don't, we don't know what it was, what it, it, you know, we could, we could suppose what it could be. But he had something going on physically enough so that he, at least he thought that he was just a, you know, uh, a, a something aghast to look at. Yeah, <laughs> and a trial even to be in your presence, <laughs> you know, like maybe some really bad, you know, contagious disease that he might have he might have had, and people would say, "Oh no!" But they <clears throat> they embraced him. One thing that I find that's in each of Paul's letters, and we know this is the divinely inspired word of God, but uh, the personality of the apostle Paul comes out in each of his letters, and it's the same in every letter, 
And it's an expression of just how much Paul loved the church and how much he loved the Lord and how much he, it's obvious he gave, eventually he gave even his own life for the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he'd be the first one to say that it wasn't his doctrine, it's God's doctrine. And he'd be the first to say it wasn't his gospel, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It all belongs to the Lord. But in each one of these, um, you know, there is a personal connection between the church, or in this case, the churches and the Apostle Paul. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, I didn't just come and preach the gospel. I bore my soul to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? And the same, you know, a little bit later on in this chapter, he uses the phrase, I think he uses the phrase little children, doesn't he? My little children. That's a real, that's really John's phrase. Right. Right. But Paul used that in the the letter to the church at Corinth. He referred to them as sons, his sons Mm. to the letter at Timothy, my son, my own son in the ministry. He, the apostle Paul had a level of concern, care, and love for those to which he wrote that it comes out so evidently in the book. Amen. And this one, it's really interesting. You know, we talk about how angry Paul was, his righteous indignation, uh, you know, all the things that he said. But that was a the driving force behind that, I believe, was his great love for the church, but especially the churches in Galatia to that he had been to. Yeah. And that he had been with and that he had seen... And, you know, you, you imagine he goes and preaches and they're just like, oh, this is amazing. You know, the, 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 the Holy Ghost comes on them. They, they understand it. They see it. And then Paul seeing that working among them, he's just, you know, like, you know, oh, this is great. You know, I mean, we've, (laughs) we've experienced that even in our ministry, you know, um, yeah. and then he finds out what's going on. Oh yeah, I get it. Because his love, he's like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you know, are you seriously going to do this? Um, you know, it's just his personal relationship. And I think it's important for each of us, not just the ministry, but for each of us to understand and hold to that personal relationship that we have with one another, but more importantly, that we have with the Lord in his church And if we walk away from any aspect, if we take a non-negotiable and try to make it negotiable, then we're just like the churches of Galatia. Right. And we deserve to have someone like the Apostle Paul come in and say, well, to use Jerry's terms, you knuckleheads. (laughs) I mean, I can't believe you're walking away from this. I do have a question that I would really like to hear the two of you Um talk a little bit about and it's verse 15 he says where is then this blessedness ye spake of and that's goes back to him being there for i bear you record that if it had been possible ye would have plucked Mm -hmm. out your own eyes and had given them to me that is a really strong statement yeah about somebody else. What do y'all think of that? I mean, I, I know the I know the sentiment, okay, but why did he use that language? You know, I mean, let me take a, a a little bit of a side street stab at answering your question. All right. I think it I think it connects. And and really I'm going to connect it to 
something that was said a few weeks ago um, as we were talking. And Brother Mark, uh, you made a statement as we were uh, talking about the fact that Paul was persuaded. Paul was persuaded. And we spent some time talking about that term. Mm -hmm. And I remember something that you said is that you're either persuaded or you're not. Mm -hmm. There's not, there's no degrees of persuasion. Nope. Right. And so in verse eight, when Paul says, how be it then, you know, he's, it's really interesting. Have, have, Have you ever been in a conversation with someone you being so firmly persuaded in the non-negotiables, Brother Mike, and, and that which you know to be true in your heart of hearts, um, and having a conversation with someone who is dogmatic about the error that they're presenting, and you find yourself standing back and saying, you got to explain this to me. I can't get it. I can't get my mind around it. We become so fully persuaded that we have we struggle being able to understand how can you not see this? How can you not see this? Right? We all we all know, but by the grace of God go I. We all understand that. And, and understanding comes from the Lord. And I believe if we're pursuing it with an open and earnest heart, he'll lead us to the truth. I believe that with all my heart. My point in this, and then here's what gets to the question that you asked, Brother Mark. Um Paul saw their experience. You made the mention of that. He saw the presence of the Spirit of God. He saw their response at the preaching of the gospel. And he saw their response of the power behind the preaching. You know, you can't manufacture that. Nope. You can't make it up. Uh, There are possibly religious orders in the world today that would give you the ABC 123 recipe to manufacture it so it looks a certain way. It's not possible. Yep. That's one of those non-negotiables. The spirit of God is not on a (laughs) yo-yo. Right. He blesses with the spirit according to his will. And in response of the the proper response and the, the preaching of the hearing of the gospel and the embracing of it and the belief that you cannot fake. You cannot fake it. You either believe it or you don't believe it. Now, we grow in grace and knowledge, but I'll tell you, when when Abraham was blessed to look up and tell the stars, his immediate response was he believed in God. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't, you can't fake that. Right. So Paul is asking the question, where is the blessedness that, that you knew of, that you participated in? Um, Where's the blessedness that I observed? Because it was so profound. And how is it that you're even denying it? It was so profound that as you look at me in my infirmity, if it was possible to help me in my infirmity, you'd pluck out your own eyes to give it to me because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and its impact upon you. You know, when we're in a worship service and the Lord is blessing the preaching to come forth in much power, I'll tell you, I I'll, I'll, I would do anything. There's nothing that comes to mind that I would not do uh, for the cause of Christ at, at that moment. We've heard Brother Ricky Arkrove talk about when the Lord's blessing him to preach and 
uh, and much power that he's ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Well, you know, that brings a, <laughs> that brings a laugh in, in response. But, I, you know, I think the brother means it. <laughs> when, when the Spirit of God is blessing, you are being blessed to understand the power that is in your presence. And not only that, the power that resides in you, because Paul told the church at Ephesus, the same power by which you believe is the power that rose Christ from the dead. Right, right. So you can't fake those things. And I think what Paul's getting after in that, at least this is my take, is uh, you did not manufacture this. This is a true statement. You were so moved. If, if you thought that plucking your own eyes out was going to help me because I was the vessel of mercy by which this gospel came unto you, obviously the spirit anointing it. But it is true that the minister being a vessel of mercy, it is, uh, he is in the, the forefront. He's in the visual of the membership. And we got to be careful not to worship preachers. Amen. But how oh, thankful we should yes. be for the gift that God has given them. Right. And their application to it for the benefit and the edification of the body of Christ. Amen. That's, those are my, my, scattered thoughts on matter (laughs) that's good well uh, amen and uh to to augment that uh and just add my two cents i think if you take um verse 12 as a starting point for what he's going to end up saying in Mm -hmm. verse 15 I mean, you could say, well, verse 11 too, but I, I'd say when he says, brethren, I beseech you, I beg you, be as I am. I, this has been one of the hardest verses for me to to figure out what he's saying. But I think basically what he's saying is, be as I am now. I used to be a legalistic uh, Pharisee back in, the, back in the day. Guess what? You're becoming like I was. Yeah. I became, I became like you were. Mm. Now you need to become like I am. I think right. that's his point that he's getting yeah. to them. And that raises the point <clears throat> that underneath all of this, because he preached the truth and power and demonstration of the Spirit, they they did something that we even today say. They loved him for the truth's sake. Right. Right. And, you know, there is a bond that is created between the man, the man who's blessed to preach and the people who are blessed to hear and respond, it's the power of the gospel. Right. And of course, it's a, we must be so very careful that we don't use that and leverage that for our own good. Right. And Paul's saying that's what these teachers are doing. They're trying to leverage your, your, uh, your, your good senses for this. But let me continue on. So he goes, you know how through difficulty— of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you. He was, I think we could say he was sick. Yeah. He was really suffering. I'm, I'm not going to say he had hay fever because that sounds like really uh, too simple, but you know, I've had upper respiratory stuff. You brethren have too. Nothing harder to do to preach than when you're hoarse, you're almost, your voice is gone, your head's exploding. Things are coming out of your nose and you're, you know, and you, you got stuff that's trying to, you know, strangle your voice. I'm just saying, as an example, I, I think 
he was going through a terrible physical malady, and yet he still preached. I, I know preachers who have been so sick that they still went. They probably shouldn't have, but they still went and they preached because they felt that burden to do so. Right. And I think I, I can understand, and I'm sure you all can too. He goes, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Now, obviously, it means he got feeling better after that. Uh, but then he says, and my temptation, which was in my flesh, I think that means it was he was a trial for anyone to have to deal with. Um, I'm not going to mention any names, but sometimes you uh, you host somebody who really is going through, you know, this whatever is going on. They're not sick, but they they just got all these things going on and they have they have uh <laughs> they're just a trial to be around. They can be a trial to be around if their personality is prickly or if they're if they're more interested in talking about gossip than they are about the truth. But when a man is steadfast and known to me as solid in the faith and his desire is to preach the truth and to talk about the truth when he's not preaching, I don't care what he's like. I said, let me be around that guy. I'll be around that guy anytime. I think that's kind of what maybe he's getting to them. He's saying, look at the bond. And then he uh, he says, and this to me is astounding what he says in the, at the end of the 14th verse. He says, you didn't despise me. You didn't reject me. You didn't think the gods have cursed him. Why listen to him? Because, you know, the gospel does something that nothing else can do. It can take pagans who would who are so superstitious and so easily could have said, Paul is a cursed man. Nobody would be around to be like this if he wasn't cursed. But the power of the gospel attended by the Spirit of God pierced through that paganistic outlook. And it opened their eyes in their hearts. They were pricked in the heart. And they saw Paul not as a sick, shriveled up old man, a Jewish man. They saw him as a minister of the gospel, preaching the truth that has just turned their world upside down and for good. And then he says, uh, you receive me as an angel of God even as Jesus Christ. Wow. That is for Paul to say that. No. <laughs> for him to say that. Anybody else says that, it sounds like bragging, right? right. <laughs> but when Paul says it, he's saying, you people were so overcome with the power of the gospel mm -hmm. that you looked at me as if I was Jesus Christ himself. I remember when that story in Acts, when Paul and Barnabas are going out in 13 chapter of Acts. Yeah. And what they what did they say about Paul? He was Mercury and Barnabas was uh Jupiter, something like that. I mean, he yeah. but Paul was looked at, they looked at him as a god. Mm. That one place. Paul, and you remember how he reacted. Oh no, no, don't oh, say no. that kind of stuff. Then he says this. I remember how you treated me back in those days. I remember the love. I remember the, the heartwarming times in your homes. I remember the spiritual worship services that we had. That was a time of great blessedness. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you now, mm -hmm. where is that blessedness? 
because I'm telling you, here's how 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 strong the blessedness was when I was with you. You would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. I mean, I'm not thinking I'm ready to give my eyes to anybody, and I still have to, my eyes aren't the best. But if somebody who I was convinced had no ulterior motives, who truly out of love for the Lord and excitement for the truth and love for me was preaching like that, there's not anything I wouldn't be willing to do for somebody like yeah. that. Right. Yeah. I'll, 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 let me just say this one last thing. There was a preacher, and I'll say his name because he's blessed in the memory of a lot of people, Elder Cecil Doherty. Mm-hmm. I was only privileged to be around him maybe three times. The man was outstanding as a preacher. He was one of the most gifted, talented men I've ever. I, I mean, he could pick any verse and preach a great sermon out of it. But what really got me when I went up to shake hands with him, the love that emanated from that man who made me feel like I was his own son. And I didn't know him hardly at all, but he made me feel that way. And it was genuine and authentic. I would have given my eyes, I think. I would have given yeah. him anything. Yeah. Can y'all think of experiences like that oh, you've had? Yeah. With yeah, absolutely. absolutely. See, to me, these teachers aren't like that. Yeah. But no, that's like the that. point. Brother Mark, you raised such a good question. And uh, as we're talking through this, look at the contrast. First in verse 16. Oh, I as know. Paul, as Paul says, am yeah. I therefore become your, your enemy? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, where's that blessedness now? I'd like to have a little bit of that blessedness back. <laughs> right? Uh, because I tell you the truth. Yeah. I told you the truth then. And this is what your reaction was. And now what has changed? Same what's truth, yeah. but your perspective. And then he adds mm-hmm. another layer to the contrast Yes, with the teachers. You see, one of, one of the things that the Spirit does is bless you with discernment. You have the ability to discern what is real and what is not real, right? And these Galatians had that ability and to make the proper discernment. And they have set that entirely aside. They have surrendered it. They have. They, they willingly have, gave it up. They willingly yeah. gave it up. They gave that it is up. a lesson to us today. Oh, <clears> my gosh. It is such a lesson to us today. I mean that what a question. Uh, where is where is then the blessedness ye spake of? They uh, spake of it, didn't they? That's a 2022 question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, brother Mark. It yeah, is. Yeah, it is. It, and and the the contrast that Paul makes, I believe, layer by layer, first of all, within the confines of the relationship. Paul and and these Gentiles, but then beyond that, you've replaced me (laughs) as a part of this blessedness with a false teacher. And quite frankly, their zeal is not like mine was. My zeal You hit the nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head. Their zeal is toward them. They lost their ability to discern. Man, that's good. That's that's, that's really, really good. I think, the heart of what he's saying there. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I really do. Really do. Excellent, excellent point. And and how current is that for us yeah. today? It is. It, it gives me a chill up my spine. I got to tell you. 
don't you think that has something to do with the with what he meant by that he he's in late he, he's in labor until Christ is formed in you? It, I mean, what you had before that's when Christ Christ was fully formed. But guess what? It's not there anymore. Ooh. Right. Does right. that mean they're no longer children of God? Here's no. where the non-negotiables come in. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. They've lost something. They haven't lost their eternal life. They haven't right. lost the regenerative power of the Spirit in you, but they have lost something precious, something valuable, that if they don't watch out, they can lose it and never get it back. It's like what Paul said in the sixth chapter of Hebrews, maybe, about it's impossible to renew them again and to repent. Renew them again under repentance, right? Um, let, let me ask you guys, about going up to the first few verses, the the uh, <clears throat> The eighth, the eighth verse, eighth and ninth verse. Here's where I think a non-negotiable is really helpful in this. Mm. He said he talks about you knew you knew not God. That was in their state of paganism, right? But he said, but now after that, ye have known God. So far, so good. But then he says this, or rather, are known of God. Whoa, 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 Paul. God knows everything. He's omniscient, right? <laughs> right? He knows everything. How can he, Paul, you say something like that about God? You knew them. Okay, so how do y'all explain that? <clears throat> well, oh, oh, okay. Well, I mean, again, within the context of that, of that verse, he says, but now, after that year, uh, have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. That um, knowledge relationship that the Galatians entered into when the Apostle Paul preached and the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they experienced that, and they rejoiced in that, and they knew God. Well, in the same context, on the flip side, God always God knows his children. He's he's never forgotten one of his children. But as these Galatians were were uh, blessed to have the truth revealed to them, there became a knowledge between them and God, and between God and them, in that experience of the truth. And so he says, you know, now that you you know have known God, or rather are known of, he says the way I look at it is the Lord sees you. Not just as is, you know, uh, the child of grace that he purchased on Calvary, but he sees you as this church and he knows you as this church. He goes, and if he has that knowledge of you, why would you return to these beggarly elements yes. of the world? Right. Why? Because he sees, he knows. It's not like you're over here in a corner in the dark doing this and the Lord doesn't know. He knows. Right. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. You know, and that's exactly right, Brother Mark. I think Paul is reminding them of what he's already told them that uh, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we that we includes them might receive the adoption of sons, and because yep. you are sons, yes, because yep. you are sons. That's being known of God. Amen. Right. Amen. Because you are, and what, what? So, what benefit is that? Oh, not much. Just that, just that God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." 
That is being known of God. Yeah. Can I throw this thought out? The word known, I think in this, I was looking at Mounts, and he says to view favorably. I thought, Mm. hmm, to view favorably. And I got thinking, well, you know what? That's pretty good. Because, yes, Brother Jerry, Brother Mark, God has known his elect since before the foundation of the world. That's a non-negotiable. That's right. That's a (laughs) non-negotiable. Okay, so it can't be talking about that kind of knowing. It's got to be saying, I know you now in a way that I did not choose to know you before. And it all is because of the redemption that's in Christ. And now he recognizes us favorably as his sons. Is as his heirs. Am I close? I mean, is that absolutely? Would, would it be okay to get, to use Psalms one thirty nine and one Read relative to that? Thou has searched me and known me. Oh, oh it's my downsitting, my uprising, my thoughts afar off. No, so I think all that's good in Psalm one thirty nine. Don't you? I don't oh, think he's talking man. about the evil thoughts that we have and the bad yeah. things that we do. That's he's talking right. about the fact that he's a son. That's you right. Know, has searched me and known me. What the Galatians failed to do is what David said at the end of Psalms 139. Search me, O God. Search me, O God. (laughs) That's what they failed. That is absolutely right. You know, know, we shouldn't be afraid of that. I mean, maybe maybe, uh, if you think about it in one way, oh, goodness. Well, God already knows every thought you've had, even the imaginations of the thoughts. Yes. But that's he's talking about he knows you as his son. Yep. As his manifest son. And I, I love that. I love it, guys. I think y'all. I would say this, too. A couple of thoughts. Christ being formed in you. I believe Christ was formed um, in the psalmist David when he made those remarks. He was sincere and serious that God would point out anything that was was in him that would hinder him from being the fullness of a disciple uh, unto the Lord. He yeah, was, he was praying thought. to that end. And when we get to a place where Christ is fully formed in us, we, we acknowledge, Brother Mike, God knows everything. I'm not hiding anything from him. Huh? I know there's something in me that is hindering me. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Lord, yeah. reveal it to me in a way yeah. that, that I can deal with it. Help me deal with it. And then that improves rich... matter. There, there's also something else in regard to Paul's... Uh, being alarmed of after you've known God or rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. I think he's pointing right back to the first verse. See, they were, they were looking to go back or to go backwards and into a place of being a spiritual pauper, if you will. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be a beggar, there's no means of support in, in that. And, to go back into bondage, um, back in slavery, yeah. they are a child. The non-negotiable, non-negotiable, they're a child. However, uh, the time had come for them to leave that minority, as we talked about, and move to their mi- majority. And they are looking to take the blessings of that and say, no, I'm going to go back. Yeah, let's go back. I want to go back under that servitude of those things that that have no value and no power. Um, 
you know, isn't that what we do too? When oh, we, uh, yes. we turn to our flesh, when we we compromise the beauty of the gospel, when we want to add to it for our own uh, a- agenda, take from it for our own agenda, apply this, don't apply that. Um, it we can't play with it. Oh man, no, nope. cannot play with it. No, no, no. Excellent, guys. I think the Lord bless y'all with some wonderful thoughts this afternoon. Glad I got to be a part of it and listen to what y'all had to say. Thank you, thank you. Well, there, how much more could be said, brother Mark? Have you got something you want to add? I got something. Say and I, I, we we are approaching time, so I think it's okay for me to say this. I don't know if Mike, if you remember this, my dad liked to use verse chapter four, verse twenty as a proof text for his loudness. I don't know if you remember that, Mike. Because <laughs> dad could get pretty loud, right? I mean, I can get pretty loud, but dad could get pretty loud. And he would Uniquely say, loud. and he would quote, I desire to be present among you um, and yeah, to right. change my voice. He says, you think the apostle Paul wanted to go down back to that region and start whispering in their ears? No. He says, no, he no. wanted to lay it out for them. You know, and that's that continues to show that Paul's his thought of relationship towards the Galatians had not changed. Right. They were still his little children. Yeah. Right. And he wanted to go down there and he wanted to it. It's one thing to read the words. It's one thing to hear them spoken and hear the inflection of voice. And Paul wanted them to hear how upset he was, but I also think he wanted him to hear just how much he still loved them and was concerned that they stay, come out of what they had gone into back into the place where they belonged. Yep. Amen. That's what Galatians really, that's it in a nutshell. Yep. That's Galatians in a nutshell. This little section, actually a long section, but, it it takes what we that meat of the doctrine and just says here it is. Yep. Is that what you want to do? <laughs> you're, you're crazy if you do. Absolutely yep. right. Absolutely. You know something has been said repeatedly since we started the study, and brother Mark, you hit on it really well right there. The demeanor that Paul had where these churches were concerned. Yes, he uses language that um, is appropriate to to speak to the error that was under consideration here, to speak to the danger that existed. Uh, he wasn't mad at them from the perspective of, um, you know, how is it I gave you the best I had and now you're doing this? That's not where he was coming from. Right. All love them. To the point that it broke his heart. He uses the term travail in in these latter verses. He was truly, I think, suffering along with in in a lot of ways. It's painful for him. It is painful. And I gotta tell you, as in in trying to to pastor and to minister, sometimes it gets painful. It it truly does. And it's not because a minister standing in a posture of judgment of who he's preaching to. I think God blesses the ministry to know what's at stake in a very personal way. I'll tell you, um, I serve God uh, as a minister 
because I can't do anything else. Right. I just I can't. I, I cannot do anything else and find joy in my life. Um, but if I allow myself for an instant to even think about the thought of not doing it, it upsets my stomach. It scares me to death. <laughs> it truly does. So I think every minister uh, that's uh, that's thinking rightly is fully acquainted with their inadequacies, but they're also fully acquainted with their love for the flock of God and for the Amen. cause. It's good. As a closing point, I'm going to go first, <laughs> and then then. Uh, I don't know. One of you two guys will go next. <laughs> uh, you know, I mentioned discernment. I think discernment is something that maybe we don't talk enough about. Uh, discernment is not, I mean, discernment is something that I think you can get better at. But the base ability, the base aptitude to discern spiritual things is a gift from God. It's given to his people that we would discern spiritual things. And I think Paul here is really poking at these Gentiles and, and these churches that you have you've set aside that ability to discern, even to the point that you would be blind to the selfish, self-righteous zeal of these false teachers that are telling you they have a better idea mm. than the power of the Spirit of God by which all good things have come unto you. You know, we sit here tonight and we I say those words and I think, how in the world would somebody do that? But we do that. We do that in varying degrees and sometimes as bad as these churches were. God forbid that we would do that. Mm. And when a man of God is blessed of the Lord to come and speak those words with a zeal that is undeniable, if you are properly discerning, love them for it. <laughs> Embrace what they say and recognize that they're a vessel of the mercy of the Lord, and it is God who is speaking through them. We talk about that all of the time, that when God blesses a man to preach, it is a, it's a miracle in our presence. It's wonderful to say it. It's an altogether different thing to truly believe it. The Lord, the Lord is so merciful to us. Mm. And he loves us enough to correct us when we err. Oh, that God would bless us to just exercise that discernment in our mm -hmm. lives in order that we would not go as far down the path as these churches have gone. Um, it's so important. We have, we're so blessed of the Lord. Those are my closing thoughts. Excellent. Brother Mark. I'll be, I'll be brief. The truth is not our enemy. Ever. Never. The believers of the truth are not our enemy ever. The preachers of the truth are not our enemy ever. Never. never. There is never a category in which any of the, those could fall into inside and encapsulated in the truth that become our enemy. Ugh. I need to know that. Ugh. 
So Paul, when Paul said, am, am I become your enemy because I preach the truth? Yep. Is the truth making me your enemy? That, he wasn't asking that to get a, that's more of a rhetorical question. At least it is in my mind. Yeah. He's saying, Hey, if I'm your enemy, then you've become an enemy to the truth and the truth to you. Wow. Is that really where you want to be? I mean, wow. I read that and it's like, oh, Lord, help. Lord, wow. help that the truth wow. never become my enemy. Mm. Go ahead, Brother Mike. <laughs> what? That was wonderful. <clears throat> I think in some respects we see the power of peer pressure. Back back then, we see it today. These teachers were saying, there's something better. You can be better than what you are. You can have a better experience than what you've had. But you got to fit in with us. You got to become like us. And that is a powerful inducement for people. Uh, it Well, I'd like to say the truth will win out every single time that people will always opt to choose the truth. But history has proved that sadly is not always the case. And if anybody thinks I wouldn't made those mistakes like them Galatians, think again, think again. Yep. Um, why people do what they do. Only God knows what's in the heart, but some of the evidences that we can see is because there is occasionally that comes among us men, women who are all about themselves and they're very good at selling whatever it is that they're selling. Hmm. But what, how to distinguish, how to make a distinction between what they're selling and what is the truth? Uh, where to buy the truth and sell it not. <clears throat> These people are selling uh, a, a dream, actually a nightmare, but they package it as a dream. <laughs> And here's where non-negotiables come into play for me. The church of Jesus Christ will stand the test of time. It has, Amen. it will, and it will be here when the Lord returns. Right. There will be people on this earth that worship God according to the ancient doctrine and practice that I trust that we ourselves are based on. You may think that ah, you're, you're, you're thinking a lot too high of yourself. I, I would hope anybody who's serious about Jesus Christ and being his disciple would be extra serious about what they believe to be the truth. Right. And that they would uh, stay with it so long as they felt it was the truth. And if they begin to think that it wasn't, then they need to leave that and find where the truth is. Amen. But if you've got the truth, be, be wary. There are people out there that are going to try, and Satan himself will try very hard and they will have direct approaches indirect approaches and several approaches at the same mm. time to get you off that solid rock right. of the revelation of Jesus Christ so i can understand to some extent why paul is so upset mm. he looked at these people as if they were his own children right and to see them do what they did broke mm. His heart. That's right. And he can't, his his natural, his inclination would be to rush back to the Galatia area and just deal with it personally, but he can't. That, that must have been extra hard yep. not to be able to get back. They didn't have telephones back then or internet. 
we're talking about snail mail of the worst sort. <laughs> Imagine that not knowing for months, did what I write, did it do what I hoped that it did it have any positive effect upon them? But at a certain point in, in any case, Brother Jerry, Brother Mark, I remember something Brother Bill Walden told me. He says, if you can walk away from the ministry, you should. Mm. Mm. If you can walk away from the ministry, you should. And I have uh, found myself at times put out with the old Baptist. God knows they've been put out with me. But I tell you what, (laughs) I'll tell you what. If they'll let me, I'd like to stay amongst them for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. That's right. These are my people. Yes. And I trust I'm their people. Yeah. Good grammar, but that's what I believe. And to some extent, Paul is, he's heartbroken. He's hurt. He's disappointed. And yes, I've seen some good people that I thought no way they'll ever crack. They cracked and they fell away. And despite everyone's best efforts to persuade them otherwise, they left. But they're still in God's hands. Yes, yep. they are. That's right. They're still in God's hands. That's yes, that's a non-negotiable, by the way. Yeah, Amen. Thank God for that. <laughs> but don't let that make you sell this church short. Mm-mm. Well, these things that Paul's written to them says God had a purpose and all that from a long time ago. It's started even before Abraham, but we get the first glimpse of it in Abraham, and then it comes true in Christ. Mm-hmm. And now we have something that God has worked out for us here in this life. Now, I'm not talking about eternity, but in this life. Right. Why would we want to walk away from that? <sighs> but people do. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, dear friends, for this wonderful study. I needed it. Mm, I yeah, needed me it. too. I needed to bless both of you brothers for some wonderful, wonderful thoughts um, in this portion uh, of Scripture. Um, again, we uh, we ask you listeners to consider what we say and the Lord give you understanding in, in all things. Brother Mike, would you close the broadcast this evening with prayer? If you'll bow. Heavenly Father, thank you again. Thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing us to spend part of this day studying thy word with our dear friends, our yoke fellows in the ministry. Lord, we feel knit together in the bonds of love and that the cause of Christ means more to us than life itself. Mm. We thank you for allowing us to believe what we believe and to serve thee in the way that thou hast put before us. And we love the people that you've put in the church. We are so thankful for everyone. And we're thankful for Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for those who listen to us. We pray for their, for their uh, wisdom to be increased, their knowledge to be increased, but more importantly, their love and ardor and zeal to serve thee and thy people to be increased as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Say good night, guys. Good night, guys. Good night.